0: Cosmic Canvas Studio presents What Lies Between Sleep. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Dreamlights, the podcast about the place between sleep. My name is Bernard Sanderson, and I'm excited to share some news! We've been on the air for two weeks now, and already I've gotten a handful of emails, so I'll have some stuff to read to you guys today. So, what's the current situation for Bernard? Well, I have officially begun researching into this strange world that I've been dragged to. I found a few books talking about this subject. Well, I mean, I found out about these books. They aren't quite as easy to find as we'd hope, but that's for later. It's time for the Dreamlight Sleep Update. How are you all sleeping these days? I've been getting a decent six hours a night. That bad. My new job starts in the later afternoon, so I don't have to worry about waking up early in the morning. That little adjustment has been very helpful. Dreams have been quiet. Peaceful. But you're not here to listen to me talk about my sleep schedule, are you? I didn't think so. Hey, it is still good to just check in from time to time to share how my sleep has been going, just in case anything strange begins to surface again. Anyway, let's move into the meat of today's topics, the books. So, I spent a ton of time in the library last week looking up dreams, dreaming, and anything related to sleep. It seems to me that dream books fall into two categories, new age philosophy, and science. Neither type mentions what I've experienced, Most New Age books are mostly just full of interpretation to help you get the most out of your dreams. Either that or just fluff. And science books just put you to sleep because of how boring they are. But never underestimate the value of references. See, in the back of these science books, there's often a hearty number of references. You know, citations. Or as I like to call them, leads. More sources for me to pour through. Some phone calls, some online searches, and bam! finally gotten my hands on a copy of Nightmares and Waking Terrors. I'll read you the blurb on the inside of the book jacket. For thousands of years, men and women have woken up in a cold sweat, hearts pounding as a terrible nightmare fades from their minds. Until now, there is no unified explanation for nightmares, but after decades of research, Dr. Herbert Long has finally discovered a common thread that runs throughout all nightmares. Why start with a nightmare? Simple enough, I would figure that if someone with a more rational approach to their lives were to experience what I experienced, they'd chalk it up to a nightmare. So if I read through enough reports on these nightmares, maybe I'd find something relevant, right? And chapter 8 proves my theory. Here's a few sections that I've underlined. Chapter 8, Psychiatric Nightmares In some patients, nightmares are more than simple phantasms that cause a momentary loss of sleep. For these individuals, nightmares robbed them of their autonomy, their joy, and in some cases, their mental faculties. One such case was that of Dexter Peters, age 23. Living in an asylum due to a nervous breakdown, Dexter often had terrifying and vivid dreams. He would screech all hours of the night, begging for someone to stop something from taking him away. In the morning, when questioned by his psychiatrists, He would tell of a strange place, a realm made of buttons and pearls, where something would drag him to each night against his will. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Maybe not the buttons and pearls, but the ideas of being dragged. It gets better. His accounts were vivid, far more so than other nightmare accounts. The world he built upon was complex and strange. While most patients suffered from repeat nightmares, his constantly evolved. They changed. Yet, the details about these encounters would remain consistent. Most patients struggled to remember full scenes and imagery from their dreams. But Dexter's memory of said events were crystal clear. Dexter would later be found dead in his own bedroom, hand around his own throat, as if he were being strangled. It goes into a lot of other details about nightmares that asylum inmates suffer from, but none of them are like poor Dexter's. That boy was being pulled somewhere. And then then they killed him or or at least and i shudder to think about this at least they killed his body off maybe he's still trapped in that realm that terrible place now dexter peters doesn't show up anywhere in google at least not in the way i'm looking for so i had to do some deep digging uh let me tell you something People are pretty damn hard to find, especially if you don't have any reference points other than a name and the fact that he was committed. Hell, it only occurred to me after the first week of searching that maybe the author simply made this up. There was no citation for the Dexter story. Maybe it was all some kind of rumor. Fortunately, a librarian from Bro Bridge, Louisiana called me back. All of my research so far had pointed me towards Louisiana, and I figured that maybe some locals might know the story. Why not start with the librarian? Addie Babineau, age 78 and exceptionally hard of hearing, was more than happy to talk over the phone about my questions. It would seem that Dexter Peters was a man of her era. She had lived down the street from Dexter's family. She didn't know the boy at all, but everyone came out looking when the authorities arrived one morning, dragging a screaming violent young man into the back of the wagon. This was in 1968. The rumor had circulated that he had been experimenting with LSD and had gone permanently insane because of it. And the conservative members of the community pushed that narrative rather hard, probably as a means to keep their own kids off the stuff. Dexter was placed in a now-defunct sanitarium, simply known to residents as The Home. Formally, it was known as The Home for Lunatics. You know, I gotta say, old-school naming conventions for asylums were rough. Eh, anyway. He lived the rest of his life in the home. It wasn't a long period. Miss Addie remembered attending the funeral only a few years after Dexter had been taken away. In that neighborhood, if someone on the block died, everyone showed up for support. Everyone including the psychiatrist who had been tasked with listening to poor Dexter's ramblings. I didn't keep you waiting too long now, did I? Let's get back to it. So, in short, she remembered the psychiatrist was at the funeral. He was a kindly man, mid-50s, spoke about the human moments that Dexter experienced. His preference for music, his strong opinions about the war. From the doctor's perspective, Dexter seemed almost normal. There was certainly no mention of what went on in the hospital, at least not in public, but in private. Addie had been tasked with watching a few of the younger members of the Peters clan. This put her in close proximity of a grieving mother talking to the doctor. As Addie held the children close, distracting them with silly rhymes, helping ease their sorrows, she could not help but listen to the doctor's words. Dexter was murdered. That was what the doctor deeply believed. A police investigation had come and gone, but there was no sympathy for a lunatic who died in his sleep. There were far too many other problems for the police to care about, but the doctor was sure of it. With careful whispers and cautious glances, the doctor spoke about other similar cases. Patients who dreamt of things terrible, who died swiftly and suddenly. His belief? A so-called angel of mercy. A nurse or other doctor would smother the patient to put them at ease to end the suffering. (laughs) Grizzly stuff to bring up at a funeral. But the doc had an agenda. If the family raised a fuss, if the Peters went public with this death and accused the asylum of wrongdoing, it could potentially motivate the police to investigate the murder. Problem was, the psychiatrist wasn't aware of Dexter's troubled family life. The poor young man had spent so many days and nights screaming about the dreams, he never mentioned how he had been the black sheep of the family. The fact that no one ever came to visit never even occurred to the doc. So, he was turned away thanked for his efforts, but told to let their troubled son have his rest. The family would not move to have this investigated any further. That didn't stop the doctor from writing his own book. A tell-all called Memoirs from Madness. Catchy title, right? Unfortunately, he couldn't get a publisher interested. The book, according to Addy, was poorly written, scattered, and somewhat self-obsessive. But that didn't stop him from publishing a few of his own copies for posterity's sake. One of which is located in the library where Addie works. Once it became clear that he wasn't going to be the next big thing in writing, he donated the remaining copies to the local library and called it quits. Now, when I inquired about getting my grubby little hands on this book, I was sharply told that it was sole property of the library. She said I'd have to visit in order to read it. Now, I'm not crazy about making such a long trip, but it might be worth it. I don't know what's in that book, but what if it contains more information? Isn't it my duty to pursue this? Oh, and by the way, for those of you who are following along thinking, Gee, it seems awfully convenient that you just happened to cross a lady who knew all of this. Mind you, I spent three straight days calling every damn library in Louisiana. But I promised myself I wouldn't keep repeating how real everything is. That's kind of a hallmark of a false story, right? When they keep insisting that everything is totally 100% real. This isn't some crappy creepy pasta from YouTube. It's journalism when you think about it. Just a really weirder kind of journalism. So, anyway, Louisiana. That's not a quick trip. I've got some cash saved up. Maybe I should go. What do you think? Leave a comment in the comments section, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course I went! In fact, I'm recording this segment in my hotel. I'm just trying to show what my thought process was that led me here. With the miracle of editing, I can skip right to when I get my hands on this book. Okay, so it turns out, since I'm not a resident, I can't leave with the book. But I wanted to read it on air so you can get my real-time reaction to this. So I've set up my laptop and mic in the corner of the library. Please excuse any noises, I can't really control the environment here. But hey! And he was telling the truth, here it is in all of its glory. Memoirs from Madness, a tell-all by Dr. Franklin LeBurge. And there's four chapters dedicated to the Dexter case. Of course, he refers to Dexter as someone else to maintain confidentiality. But it's pretty easy to figure out who he was actually talking about. Hmm. Okay, alright, check it out. Dexter was a young lad, scrawny, exhausted, and wiry. He reminded me somewhat of a refugee. Underfed, almost ribs at this point. Until my arrival in 1969, Dexter was mostly confined to bed rest. He was sedated for a short while, but the fact was, the home didn't have the budget to keep all of its patients on drugs 24-7. They mostly just restrained him. I found that to be an impropriety almost instantly. Dexter, during the day after his panic from waking up had worn off, was rather lucid. He could sit upright, he could talk, and even had opinions. In every way, except for the violent episodes in the morning, he was perfectly normal. Jumping ahead a little... here! The orderly had developed a little schedule, predicting his outbursts. If he was asleep by 3 a.m., he would wake up screaming around 7. If he was asleep any time earlier, he would sleep the night through. Why 3 a.m.? I don't know. Perhaps some trauma befell the boy during that hour. But once I had him unbound and set free during the daytime hours, he grew worse. Talk therapy did nothing. After about six weeks, it didn't matter when he fell asleep. Each morning he would wake up, ranting and raving. His lucidity was weakening immensely. Alright, hopping down to the conversation section. Here. At first, our conversations were polite. Dexter was pleasant. He was not a terribly smart young man, and was certainly someone with a lot of anger towards the political system, but nothing outside of the ordinary for a youth of his time. But, day by day, I could see his focus change. He began to speak more about what took him away at night. Two green cords, almost like moss, would wrap around his arms in the evening. He would fight to stay awake as long as he could, but eventually he would fall asleep. And as he fell asleep, he would be pulled to the left or the right, dragging him into a place he called Giallo. Huh. I, uh... I think I heard that word whispered around sometimes by the voices back in Eshwell's realm. The name, it's so familiar. Anyway, back to it, back to it. Giallo was not sleep, Dexter insisted. Rather, it was a place for entities that lived between heaven and earth. Not angels, not demons, just beings. Terrible ones. This was a curious mythology, and the more we talked, the deeper it grew. The boy had a vivid imagination, and whatever trauma had befallen him led to the internalization resulting in this world. Oh, Dr. Franklin, if you only knew what that guy had seen. There's a lot here, folks. A lot to parse. I don't know what to tell you other than the fact that we hit the motherlode here. I don't think anyone here wants to sit and listen to me read four hours worth of material, so I'll get back to you once I've finished reading the whole thing. Until then, I'll leave you to enjoy a segment I recorded before leaving, with our first ever email. So, it's time for our first report from our listeners. I'm extremely excited to say that our numbers actually exist. We have right now 50 listeners, and a few of them wrote to us. I picked a few positive ones here. This one is from JB from Portland. He writes, Hey Bernard, I like the direction of this show. I like the way you're playing it up to be completely real. Really makes it creepy. I dig it. Can't wait to listen more. (sighs) Okay. Well, thank you, JB, for tuning in. Looks like I copy and pasted the wrong email. Here's the one I wanted. This is from Sarah in Maine. Bernard, I think you're brave for sharing your story. What inspires you to make stuff up like this? Sorry, folks. These are the best I could pull up here. One more. Uh, no, not that one. Oh, no. ah, yeah, here. This one's goodish. Mr. Bernard, after listening to your show, it is clear that you are struggling with a mental illness. I just wanted to write to you and say that while mental health is deeply stigmatized in this country, you shouldn't feel ashamed. Nobody chooses to be broken, but at the same time, pretending it doesn't exist isn't healthy. I would strongly urge you to go back to your doctor. Please, take your mental health seriously. Love, Ashley. Now, this is sweet. Thank you, Ashley. Clearly, she doesn't believe me, but she's also not hurling the word crazy as if it were an insult. Mental health is no joke. If you need to see a doctor, go for it. But at the same time, in cases like this, I don't know how else to share the truth without people making these assumptions. The good news is that in Ashley's case, she's clearly concerned with my well being. I appreciate that. Others tend to be far more dismissive of those who struggle with mental health. But I've told you all, my doctor cleared me. I'm still taking my medications, mind you. I got my pills right here. Stuff to help combat paranoia and magical thinking. The drugs keep me mellow, a bit sleepy. But they don't stop these thoughts. Because my thoughts are based in reality. Man, I was really excited about the emails, but then remember that I sound like a legitimate crackpot. (sighs) I'd be tempted to say someday you'll all see... But that soundbite will not sound good at my inevitable court hearing. Well, until next week, this is Bernard Sanderson saying, Don't sleep to live, live to sleep. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you want to have one of your emails read by me on air, hop on Patreon and subscribe. Your support can help this podcast continue to grow and thrive. Check the show notes or head on over to www.whatliesbetweensleep.com for more info. And I'll see you next week.